Welcome to our podcast, our worship service remote for Plains United Methodist Church of Plains and for First United Methodist Church of West Pittston, Pennsylvania. Our scripture readings for later this morning, so that you can go ahead and look them up now if you want to, will be 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 24, Zephaniah 1, verse 7, and then skipping ahead to verses 12 through 18. Also, the scripture message for the children's message will be Philippians 2, verses 2 through 5. I am Reverend Tenny Hutchinson Rupnick, and my email address is tenhutrup at gmail.com. That's T-E-N-H-U-T-R-U-P at gmail.com. Please send me any prayer requests you have, and let me know if they're private in nature, or if it's okay to share them on the next week's podcast so that your church family may be praying for you. Our prayer requests for our charge for this week are for the family of Jim White, for Mark, for the family of Martha Linsky, for the Williamses, for folks in our church family who are privately dealing with depression, for Rebecca, who is fighting cancer, for little Nate Gray and family, for all our healthcare workers and first responders, for all our governmental and civic leaders. The 24th Sunday after Pentecost, November 15th, 2020. Our first hymn for this morning is number 349 in the hymnal and is entitled, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I'll sing through it twice. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our gathering meditation for this morning is from Psalm 90, verses 1 through 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 36. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! We take refuge in the shadow of your wings. We feast on the abundance of your house. For with you is the fountain of life. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! And now for our prayer of invocation. Let us pray. We bless you, Lord, for giving us the grace and good health to gather wherever we are in your name. You have provided us with all our needs and ensure that we are never lacking. 
accept our worship in the holy name of Jesus, your Son. We pray as we continue this our service that we will feel your presence around us and among us. At the end of our time together, enable us to go out into the world to glorify your name and live out your grace and your peace. And all God's children say, Amen. Our next hymn for this morning is number 420 in the hymnal and is entitled, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until with thee I will, one will, to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly thine, till all this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine. Breathe on me, breath of God, so I never shall die, but live with thee the perfect life of thine eternity. Let us join together now in our confession of faith as we recite the Apostles' Creed. Let us say what we believe and believe what we say. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And now is the time for our children's message. Our Bible reading for today is from a book called Philippians. A man named Paul wrote it as a letter to a people who wanted to think and act like Jesus. There are a lot of new words in this reading for some of you. Don't worry if you don't know the words and just listen. We'll talk about it and explain a couple of them in just a few moments. Philippians 2, 2 through 5. Paul wrote, Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, 
regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Have you ever heard the word selfish? What does it mean to be selfish? To be selfish is when we spend too much time thinking about what we want or the things we'd like to do. Now, being a little bit selfish is probably normal, isn't it? It's natural and normal to think about what we want. But the problem is that what's good for us isn't always what's good for others. Can you imagine what a sad world it would be if everyone just started looking out for themselves only? If people stopped sharing? If people stopped helping? I know that my life would be much less happy. Today we hear a reading from Paul's letter to those people at a town called Philippi. And one of the things he tells them really stood out as important to me. He told them that they should try to have a mind like Jesus. And that that means in part, not being selfish in the things we do, or in believing that we're more important than other people. Instead, he tells us that we should be humble. That might be a new word too. To be humble is really to be the opposite of selfish and to treat other people as though they are even more important than we are. That's what Jesus's life was all about, wasn't it? So this week, I want you to join me in trying not to be selfish and in trying to be more kind and humble. Will you do it? See if you can find some good ways to share more and to help more and to really think of what's good for other people rather than just what's good for you. I think that you'll find it'll make you feel pretty good to be thinking about and doing for other people. Let's all give it a try. Let's pray. Dear God, give us the strength this week to have minds like Jesus. Help us to be humble and to look out for the needs of our families, our friends, and even others. Because in that way, we will make your joy complete. Amen. Our prayer for illumination. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word. Open our hearts that we may understand and accept your wisdom. And open our hands that we may always think to share our knowledge of you with others. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our New Testament reading for this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything. 
Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. Our Old Testament reading is from a book called Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 7, and then skipping ahead to verses 12 through 18. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the people who rest complacently on their dregs, those who say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm. Their wealth shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The warrior cries aloud there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring such distress upon people that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his passion, the whole earth shall be consumed for a full a terrible end he will make of the inhabitants of the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Shut up, everybody. Why? Well, because the day of the Lord is at hand and I have something very, very important to tell you. I mean, not me. I'm not telling you all to shut up, though that would be a good way to start a sermon to be remembered. No, these aren't my words, but this is exactly what the prophet Zephaniah was saying, is saying, to the people of God. This is what he was and is saying here in our verses for this morning. Zephaniah, one of the old, old prophets, one we tend not to talk about as much, here he is making no bones about it, and he is telling the people of the Lord to hush up. Shut up, he began. Actually, he said, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. Yeah, Zephaniah is clearly telling his audience to hush up, to be silent before the Lord. And just so we're clear, this is no patiently waiting, happily hoping kind of silence into which the people are being told to settle. If we look at what this old, old prophet is saying, we see that this is a nervous, nail-biting, frightened, and fear-filled kind of silence. This is to be a silence of sheer terror for those who are listening to him and for those who are taking the prophet seriously. A silence of terror because the prophet is telling the faithful that God has prepared a sacrifice and that that sacrifice, alarmingly enough, turns out to be them. Them the ones listening, God's favored ones, the Israelites, the invited guests 
themselves. What? As my kids might have at one point said, that's rude. That's actually more than rude. That's brutal and archaic. Compare it to being invited to a gathering, a party, to a dinner, so to speak, only to be the dinner. Like all the turkeys might just well feel this week and the next in the 10 days or so before Thanksgiving, so much to do usually made about them every year in kids' drawings and in paper napkins and in advertisements, those poor turkeys, to be invited to the dinner only to be the dinner. Because Zephaniah clearly says, quote, unquote, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. Shiver. Consecrated his guests? Consecration is what a pastor does to the elements of bread and wine before communion, before they are to be consumed. That's just a bit too Old Testament, even for the Old Testament. And as far as I know, Zephaniah is the only prophet to say that God's people are God's sacrifice. Other prophets don't go on that gruesome path. They may tell of God's feasting on enemies. Isaiah 34 and Ezekiel 39 are two examples. But it ends there with the destruction of God's enemies. But here, Zephaniah veritably roars out in sharply biting judgment that God's own people cannot escape punishment, that God's own people will be the ones caught up and ground down in the Old Testament gnashing of teeth. Harsh. And mm, happy early Thanksgiving, everyone. Some of these Old Testament passages can be kind of rough. We're Christians, followers of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We look toward his ministry and yes, we look toward his torture and his crucifixion and his death so that we can get to his resurrection. You get the idea. We like to do all this looking toward stuff. We're comfortable with looking toward all of his stuff, his role or responsibility in it all. And we are very, very soothed by and comfortable with the fact that it is indeed all Jesus's, ultimately. That he was the one who was tempted by the devil and who was persecuted by those around him and was betrayed by those who loved him and was tortured by those who opposed him and killed by those who feared him and died for all of those, all of us, us, who did all of that opposing and betraying and turning away and killing. But yes, my point is, we're satisfied with Jesus as the sacrifice happy that we can look to him and say with finality that he has done it, that it is indeed finished. He's the one who has given up, the sacrificial lamb with some blood on his fleece, and that it was all successful. We can be content enough that it was he, not us. He was who was, in, in a sense, cut down and done up and trussed up and offered up, like the roasted turkey on a platter, so to speak. So we hear or read this intense prophecy of Zephaniah. And because we are so very comfortable with our sacrificial lamb of a Christ, it's somewhat shocking to us that this ancient Jewish prophet of the Lord our God, our gentle and loving God, would dare to suggest that we, God's own people, might be the consecrated elements for the holy feast. We don't like the idea of being the sacrifice of being the bread and the wine, of being a bunch of turkeys, 
Turkey's invited to the dinner to perhaps be the dinner. Gobble, gobble. No, we don't like that idea at all. So let's just back away from that particular table for a moment, leaving our silverware on the plate and our napkin on the chair. Let's back off from all those place settings, the yummy side dishes and that tender turkey, and let's talk about the wine. Yeah, grab your wine glass. You can take it with you. I know some of us don't drink because we don't believe it's right or because we just don't like it, So those of you who wouldn't drink, don't take a drink or a sip, but still go ahead and take a glass of wine with you as we ease off our chairs and out of the room and away from this shady meal, this dangerous feast. Take one along, because I want to talk about wine with you for a few moments, and you are going to want to study the liquid in your glass. It's a deep red wine, this wine we've been served and have snuck out of the room with, Hold it up to a candle shining on the mantle of the next room. Or take it outside and look at it by the light of the sun. It's a deep blood red for our purposes because it's helpfully symbolic to be reminded of some of the brutality of what Jesus went through. To be reminded of some of the blood he shed and some of the bloody imagery and violence we shy away from in things like Zephaniah's prophecy. So, looking at the wine looking at and through the rich red color in your glass, you are just able to see a little bit of something floating there or a piece of something else sliding by, floating pieces in the fluid. Now, if you're not opposed, take a drink. Or if you are opposed, simply pour out a bit of yours. You can pour it into the potted plant next to you. I won't tell the party's host. Or if you're outside with it, pour it into the grass beneath your feet. Just take a small sip or pour a bit, slowly. Try not to go too fast, because you want to hang on to the bits that you've seen in the glass. You don't want to get rid of all the pieces that are floating. These pieces are what we're going to talk about. They're a large part of old Zephaniah's point. This is the sediment in the wine, the dregs of the wine. Take another look by your light, At those pieces left over, the dregs still floating and some clinging now to the side of your glass. Dregs are residue that are sometimes found in a bottle or glass of wine. They're made of yeast cells and the tartrates. Well, we won't get into all of that, but the floating bits are also made of leftover grape salads. And when I say grape salads, I mean pieces of the seeds or the stem of the grapes that we used, or its skin, for example. These sediments are natural, and if the wine is made well, they're harmless. Now, ever so slowly, drink or pour out most of the rest of your wine, but taking care to keep the dregs. Get rid of as much of the fluid as you can so that you can only see a drop or so of it at the bottom of your glass with some dregs floating in it. This is what the ancient prophet was referring to. You see, after Zephaniah said, be silent before the Lord God, and tells us that God prepared a sacrifice and that it is us, then the prophet quotes by telling his audience that the Lord said, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I, the Lord God, will punish the people who rest complacently on their dregs, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm. The prophet is saying that God will punish the people who rest 
complacently on their dregs. Let's break that down. The Lord will punish those who rest complacently. That is, God will punish those who rest without a care, those who rest smugly or self-righteously or self-assuredly. But more than that, God will punish those who are smugly resting on the sediment or the particles or the refuse of their own pleasure. Those who are smugly resting on the sediment or the particles, particles or the refuse of their own satisfaction. Those who are smugly resting on the refuse of their own gratification. In other words, those who are smugly and comfortably seated in their own leftovers or waste will be punished. Just think about that. Because the dregs are the leftover pieces, left over after one has had the wine, after one has been fulfilled, after one has enjoyed the substance. And try also to think of wine in an ancient way, if you can. Not as in the products found in the wine section of the grocery store or the wine and spirits stores of today, but as in the wine made a couple thousand years ago, in the times when water was usually impure and often unsafe to drink, and when goat milk or mango juice or any other such beverage would quickly spoil. Wines and ale types of drinks were a welcome answer to the rancid water holes and cisterns and to the no adequate refrigeration of the times. And most people partook of these drinks and even got well-needed calories and nutrition from them. So think of it that way too. There was no taboo around drinking, nor any stigma. So think of drinking the wine as, as getting what you need as a, as a people of God, getting what fills and satisfies you as a people of God, getting what God provides for you as a people of God, and partaking, using it up, drinking it down, and then, then resting smugly on the refuse or the leftovers of your satisfaction while others are thirsty or poor, or unsaved, or suffering, or emotionally lost, and doing nothing, nothing about it. I'd love to be able to say at this point that none of us do that, and that we cannot be the ones to whom Zephaniah is speaking. I'd love to be in the position to tell us that we are all clear and free of these charges, that we have no guilt. But that's not the truth, is it? We do partake of the Lord's blessing and the Lord's providence and the Lord's fulfillment as God's people. Sometimes we can be totally belt-stretchingly stuffed with it. Sometimes we can drink and drink and drink so deeply of God's blessing that we can almost become a bit giddy or tipsy with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us being a little giddy or ridiculous in our love for and appreciation for God and in our happiness at being his beloved children. But the problem comes when we fall in the category that the prophet is describing. And when we accept all that privilege and feel all that pleasure and know all that love, and when we drink deeply of it and yet, yet, do nothing but rest complacently on the refuse of our own cast-offs and waste. The problem is when we drink deeply of the communion cup and just drowse there with no thought to community, with no thought to our discipleship responsibility, with no thought to justice or integrity 
or truth or peace. According to Zephaniah, that's exactly when we make God very, very angry. And if this scripture is any gauge, that's exactly how we tick the prophets of the Lord off. And that's when one of those prophets feels compelled to step forward and shout, Shut up! Hush! Silence! Be quiet! For the day of the Lord and a dramatic judgment is at hand for you, you revelers and partygoers. For God has invited you to this feast. And in fact, he has served up his very own son. So you will not wither away and die in starvation of your own sin. And you have come, and you have eaten of the bread, and you drank deeply of the cup, and yet you continue in complacency and smugness to wallow in your own waste. This is when the prophets are prompted to say there is a feast to which you have been invited. Enjoy it, yes, but don't be a turkey. You must also share of all your blessings lavishly giving love to others and abundantly sharing grace with others and faithfully giving support to others, freely passing all the goodness of God's table to others who are not so blessed with such abundance, passing it and passing it, sharing of it, giving of it, passing it on and on and on. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our next hymn for this morning I'll read. It's number 442 in the hymnal, and it's entitled, Weary All the Trumpeting. Weary of all the trumpeting, weary of all the killing, weary of all songs that sing promise, none fulfilling. We would raise, O Christ, one song, we would join in singing that great music pure and strong where with heaven is ringing. Captain Christ, O lowly Lord, servant King, your dying bade us sheathe the foolish sword, bade us cease denying. Trumpet with your spirit's breath through each height and hollow into your self-giving death, call us all to follow. To the triumph of your cross, summon all the living. Summon us to live by loss, gaining all by giving, suffering all that we may see triumph and surrender, leaving all that we may be partners in your splendor. At this point in our podcast, we remember our call to support our churches with our time, our talents, and our treasure. As God generously gave as God generously gave to us, so we give back unto our God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we know all too well that you call us to be not only receivers of your gifts of grace and blessing, but also to be joy-filled and obedient givers of them as well. Help our giving now to be the kind of giving which always and forever pleases you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God all creatures here below. Praise God above, ye heavenly host. Praise Creator Christ and Holy Ghost. Amen.
And now as we have so gathered, not together in body physically, it's true, but still together as the body of Christ, let us bend the knees of our hearts and bow our heads before our Creator, Sustainer, and Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, hear our prayer. When we call, answer us. O Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, hear our prayer. Come and listen to Merciful God, full of grace, hear our prayers of confession and our prayers of need in these next few moments of silence. Almighty God, May we be glad when it is said to us, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let it be our delight as well as our responsibility to worship you in the fellowship of your church or in the fellowship of our living rooms, but coming before you, Lord, in worship. Prepare us in mind and spirit for our worship this morning and tune our hearts and spirits to sing and speak your praise. You've shown us the way, Lord, but we are still convinced we can find our own better way. Save us from our own foolishness. Confound and confront us until we come to our senses. Teach us the humility we need if we want to be wise. We are so grateful, O God, for your attention and mercy. We marvel, Lord, that we matter so much to you. You have created a world that both delights and challenges us. You have established a covenant in which we can thrive with the help of your spirit. You give us a share in the work that you are doing in the world, and by doing so, you have given us meaning and purpose. You provide for and protect us, nudge and nurture us, inspire and enrich us. Help us to remember that your love for us is real and accept our praise and thankfulness for your blessings and for your faithfulness, and help us above all, Lord God, to pass them on. And now in your son's precious name we pray, as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn for this morning is number 364 in the hymnal. A favorite of mine, Because He Lives. 364. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he lived and died.
afraid to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth a living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy she gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because she lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth a living just because he lives. And then one day, I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. As we prepare to take our leave now from another, from one another by turning off this podcast and going on with our day and with our week, may we recite the Wesleyan Covenant prayer together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Let us go forth into the world dedicated to your service, O Lord. Let us love and serve our God, rejoicing in the power of God's Spirit. 
And may God's blessing be upon us and remain with us always. And all God's children say, Amen. Shalom to you now. Shalom, my friends.